You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Do vaccines that prevent respiratory infections actually reduce the risk of myocardial infarction among high-risk patients? Our guest today is Dr. Mohamed Majid. He's a senior research scientist at the Texas Heart Institute in Houston and assistant professor of medicine at the University of Texas Health Science Center. Welcome, Dr. Majid. Thank you. Let's just jump into an all-too-common scenario. Any of us who've taken care of patients, especially those in an ICU on a ventilator, they may start with a pneumonia or a severe respiratory infection, and pretty soon we're able to uh, diagnose an infarction as well. It's an ugly spiral, often in high-risk patients like the elderly. Why does this happen? What's going on here? That's a great topic, actually. For decades, we have been noticing surge in the number of the acute myocardial infarction and coronary syndromes during the epidemics of influenza and respiratory infections in the community. Every clinician knows that during the winter time, we have a surge, a big rise in the number of people coming with heart attack. And also, as you said, there's a very, very common scenario to see small infarcts or non-ST elevations or ST elevation MIs in patients who are admitted for respiratory factor. Actually, if you look back a little bit further during the Osler times, and William Osler in his book has clearly written the influenza and other and other upper respiratory tract infections as a significant cause for heart attack in his times. And we have worked on the mechanism that how this can cause the heart attack, and we found that inflammation plays a key role in this state. As you know, over the past 20 years, we have focused on atherosclerosis as an inflammatory condition. That's actually what pushed us toward running this series of studies, and we realized that actually various infections, especially influenza, can exacerbate the inflammation present in the atherosclerotic lesions, causing them to get unstable and leading to acute coronary syndromes. Tell us more about the studies that you referenced, your work or maybe work that preceded you and provoked you to go down this path. Pretty much uh, what happened was that initially we started looking at epidemiological data, looking at the large series of patients coming in for heart attack, and we realized that actually a significant number of them, up to 20% of them, especially in the winter seasons, had a preceding respiratory infection in the roughly around two or three days prior to admission. And then we conducted large epidemiological studies on it, like, for example, we did one study published several years ago in European Heart Journal when we looked at the very large autopsy database in Russia with my colleagues in St. Petersburg. We could identify that during eight years in over 35,000 autopsies, whenever there is an epidemic of influenza in the community, there is a sharp rise in the number of people dying of acute myocardial infarction and ischemic heart diseases. The studies have been replicated and confirmed in different populations, different settings, different risk levels. We see the same pattern in men, women, elderly, and even younger people with multiple risk factors. And in those studies, you're looking at the epidemiology, they're observational. You really can't get at the cause and effect, correct? That's pretty right, you know, uh, causality is a very tricky subject and we have to be careful when we are applying retrospective studies and 
observational studies to this one. There are certain criteria, actually, um, I'm not going to the details of it, but I've extensively discussed the causality issue in one of the papers that we have published in Texas Heart Institute Journal a few years ago. But these associations are only one part of the causality. The other thing is to show the consistency. Is it consistent across different populations and various clinical settings that we have been able to show that? Also, the strength of the effect is remarkable. We have been having seeing high increased risk up to two or three times or in some of the studies, way higher. More important, we have been able to run experimental studies to challenge these hypotheses. And, for example, in one of our studies published in the journal Atherosclerosis, we use APOE knockout mice. These are the genetically engineered mice who run very high cholesterol levels, up to several hundreds, very young in their age, and they develop extensive atherosclerosis disease. We have infected these mice and looked at the atherosclerotic plaques of these mice. And we saw a very, very severe inflammatory reaction in their aortic atherosclerotic plaques. Increased number of macrophages, increased number of the T cells, a very big rise in the inflammatory gene expressions at the plaque level, and also a very big rise in the amount of the inflammatory markers in their blood. So pretty much extensive synergies in between local plaque level inflammation associated with the systemic inflammation. So putting all these evidence behind close to each other, it's suggested that actually there can be a cause and effect relation between infections and these events in certain people. And obviously then you start asking yourself if infection can cause the heart attack, then you should try to see if the vaccination can prevent heart attack. So the first study that was done, our group did it several years ago in UT Houston, where we looked at the people who have an event, people who have a coronary artery disease, and we compared those who get the vaccine compared to those who do not get the vaccine. It was an observational study, obviously, with all its limitations. And we found that actually a remarkable decrease up to actually 67% decrease in having a recurrent event in the next season. Actually, when the results are so big, you know, you question yourself whether the biases can cause it. It might be too good to be true. But to our surprise, multiple, multiple studies came confirming our study. You know, I, I'm not going to detail of them. You know, there are actually too many. But multiple retrospective and observational studies from different parts of the country and in Europe and came confirming the same thing. And finally, we were... The other groups, one in Argentina and one in Poland, were able to conduct randomized placebo-controlled clinical trials showing a significant decrease in multiple cardiovascular outcomes in people who receive influenza vaccine. So based on all this data in, I guess, 2006, American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology modified their secondary prevention guidelines and finally added the influenza vaccine as part of the official recommendation for secondary prevention to people with heart disease. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our guest today is Dr. Mohamed Majid. He's a senior research scientist at the Texas Heart Institute in Houston and assistant professor of medicine at the University of Texas Health Science Center. We're talking about the myths and the realities of preventing myocardial infarction with vaccination. 
You were just reviewing the official vaccine recommendations that came from the American Heart and American College of Cardiology recommendations. That's for influenza vaccine. Clarify for us what subset of patients should receive that vaccine to prevent myocardial infarction. So currently, American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, recommend influenza vaccination for all subjects with any cardiac disease. That includes all people with coronary artery disease unless there is a contraindication to receive the vaccine. We do not have the data available for primary prevention. And uh, so the question is, should people with multiple risk factors, but those who are not clinically diagnosed with coronary artery disease, receive the vaccine? On the other hand, Centers for Disease Control have been advising influenza vaccine for many years to people with any kind of heart disease and also multiple people with uh, chronic conditions like diabetes, people with chronic kidney disease, all of them populations who are very high risk for developing cardiovascular disease at the same time. And we have to keep in mind that we are moving toward universal vaccination over the next year in the United States for especially anyone should receive the vaccine too. And that's an added bonus if you get the vaccine and it prevents the heart attack, then why not getting it? What did the data tell us about the early use of antibiotics in the setting of a respiratory infection and that ability to influence the rate of subsequent cardiac events? I want to uh, clarify this. There are two types of infections that we have been dealing in this situation. One is like chronic inflammation over like 10 or 20 years that it has been a very big topic of interest for cardiologists around the country. And we have studied in the past effect of, for example, chlamydia pneumonia causing this. And majority of antibiotic trials to prevent that chronic long-term inflammation infection have failed to show any preventive effect. However, here, we are discussing about an acute trigger of heart attack. When we are talking about flu or staph pneumonia, we are talking about some infection that happens and three to five days can cause severe inflammation at the plaque level causing acute coronary syndrome. So this is a very different window of opportunity that we may be able to prevent this heart attack. By now, we, unfortunately, we, have, we do not have randomized clinical trials, the gold standards for this purpose. But we have looked at the databases that are available for now, and we published two retrospective studies. One was published last year in Circulation Outcome Research when we pretty much compared those people who have a baseline coronary artery disease. If they have an influenza episode, and they're treated within the first 48 hours of their presentation with antiviral against influenza, they have a significantly lower risk of uh, having a second cardiac event after the Mm -hmm. infection. So pretty much post-infection antiviral therapy after influenza was shown to prevent heart attacks in this study. It was a very large database study, but we have to realize it's a retrospective study and it's reconfirmation in other studies. We also conducted a similar study in people who come in with influenza and we found that actually treating them with the antivirals in the first 48 hours can lead to a significant decrease in the risk of having a stroke after influenza. Just to clarify for the listeners about patients with known cardiovascular disease, often patients, they may well have it, but it is occult, uh, not yet diagnosed. Maybe you could speak to us about 
prophylactic treatment for patients you may suspect have underlying coronary disease come in with a flu-like syndrome. We understand now about the antiviral, and ideally they were vaccinated, but what could we do to lower their risk of a cardiovascular event in the stress of that situation, even if you don't know that they have underlying disease? I guess in these situations, we have to continue with the FDA guidelines and available official guidelines from different societies. We know that, for example, we have an indication to treat people with influenza with uh, certain antivirals, and the majority of people are recommended to get the vaccine. So I think while we lack the evidence to treat people without clinically manifested disease with uh, antivirals to prevent heart attack, we have to increase the treatment rate anyway. And that has been actually not practiced very well. I want to give you an example that the vaccination rate in the people above 65 years old is the average is around 60% in the United mm-hmm. States. But when it comes to people with coronary heart disease, it is less than 50%. Oh, we my. expect it to be more than 90% in the United States. So we are very, very far from the actually optimal level at this point. And then the other issues of trying to control heart rate to the extent possible to reduce the risk of, say, atrial fib, which is often another adverse event that occurs in the setting of a respiratory infection. We've got winter, we've got respiratory infection, now we've got myocardial infarction risk. But trying to control blood pressure and heart rate in those very sick patients to reduce the demand, perhaps, is another approach? That's absolutely right. I completely agree with There is also a very, very important population that has not been studied very well in this regard, and that's the people with congestive heart failure. These are people who are very, very susceptible to going to exacerbation and get events after any infection. These are very well known to us, but they have been studied very well in this regard. They should have a very, very wide vaccination program, and this is the primary care cardiologists, doctors, and responsibility to increase the vaccination Another topic that we have to cover is the idea of herd immunity, which hasn't received that much attention. But we know that one way to decrease the infection in this infection rate is to vaccinate the children. That's a very, actually, novel approach to it. Several other studies have shown that, actually, if you increase the vaccination rate in children, you can decrease the attack rate in the adults. Because as you know, those are the kids that come from the school and give the flu to their parents and sick grandparents. We've been talking with Dr. Mohammed Majid about the myths and realities of preventing MI with vaccination. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.